Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Scouted Football Podcast with me, Joe Donoghue. Uh, if this is your first time dabbling in the world of under-23 football, welcome on board. We've got a back catalogue of previous episodes with a host of guests from around the world, some heavily involved in the footballing sphere, some maintaining more of a, an onlooker's brief into happenings across Europe and the rest of the globe. Um, today's episode takes us to France, though, which has been a happy hunting ground for Premier League clubs in the transfer market over the past 25 years. Uh, it's also home to the current World Cup champions and European finalists, Paris Saint-Germain. Um, we've discussed at length the likes of PSG, Marseille, Monaco and Nice in previous episodes, but one corner we've slightly neglected to give too much attention to is the northernmost club in Liga, and that is Lille, or to give them their full name, Lille Olympique Sporting Club, which is where the LOSK, LOSK acronym comes from. Um, my guest for this French episode is none other than Kevin Jeffries, a journalist, football data editor at Opta, an all-round excellent football analyst. Kevin, how are you today? I'm good, good. How about you? Yeah, not bad, not bad at all. It's great to great to get chatting with you. If, if you don't mind me saying, your, your name wouldn't be out of place in the UK. What's, what's sort of your, your background? Well, actually, my dad is English, so he was born in London, so I've got my family from my, from my dad in, um, near Canterbury in England, so I'm half English, half French, so that's why. Ah, I see, I see. That makes plenty of sense. Uh, you've worked with Opta for, for a number of years now. Um, what kind of things are you, are you doing on a, on a daily basis there? Well, my job is to, um, to analyze the data, not just bring the data to, to the clients, but to give them um, like meaning, you know, find the, the, best, um, the best statistics. Like if you're familiar with Twitter, you can see on uh, Opta Joe, Opta Jean, Opta Jose. So yeah, it's um, mainly to bring the best data possible for the clients and give meaning with a uh, context. So you're kind of the brains behind the operation that, that is Opta, which I'm, I'm pretty sure most football fans will be very familiar with with Opta, uh, how it runs and how you're always very much first with, with the statistics, which, which is, um, for someone like me, is always great because I, I, love, those, I love those kind of stats. Uh, but aside from, from the Opta stuff, you also have uh, a few other exciting side projects. Um, I'll, I'll let you describe to me what they are because I don't want to, to risk not doing them justice. But what exactly is uh, King of the Day and, and Paris School of Sports? Well, King of the Day was a, a show about the Premier League. It was uh, last year on Canal Plus. So, um, basically, it was um, like the best performances of the of the of the players in the Premier League each weekend. So we had a, a show, a TV show, on, a bit like Match of the Day, but just uh, basically on the on players. So it was on Canal Plus Live uh, uh, last season. So um, I don't know if we'll uh, keep going next season, but it was a great experience for me. Uh, like you can imagine, I've never been doing TV or thing like that. So it was great. Um, Paris School of Sports is a sports university. So I'm giving lessons to uh, students about data, sports data, not only football, but you know, bas- basketball, baseball, and things like that, and data history. So that's pretty cool as well. And I was lucky enough to, to write books as well um, about data again, one on the Champions League and one on the, on the World Cup. So yeah, quite, uh, quite fun things. Yeah, we'll definitely get you to, to speak about those books uh, a little bit later on because that's right up our street, and I suppose it'll be um, of, of interest to many of our uh, many of our listeners as well. Um, but yeah, that's all really interesting. I'm, I'm sure it keeps you pretty busy. So so thank you very much for for taking the time out to speak with us. Um, but onto the the topic of today's podcast, and that, and that is Lille. Um, they they've had a fairly decent academy since. You know, the turn of the millennium, producing players like Eden Hazard, uh, Divio Corrigi, Johan Kobay, uh, Mathieu Debussy, Luca Digne, Benjamin Pavard, you know, to name but a few. 
Um, do you think that the club's proximity to Belgium uh, helps them sign young players that perhaps other French clubs are not aware of, like Hazard, for example? Yeah, it was. Um, not anymore because, you know, now the scoutings, the scouts are going everywhere. So, But like you said, at the turn of the millennium, it was great help because basically in the north of France, you've got Lille and Lens. And the fact that we are near Belgium, you can find the best players in the north of France and in Belgium. And Lille was pretty good at that. Like you said, you've got um, Divock Origi, of course, Eden Hazard, which, who is the best player of the history of Lille. You used to have uh, as well uh, Kevin Miralles. I don't know, he played in England as well. So he was um, he was one of the youngsters coming from, from the Lille Academy. So yeah, definitely was a, was a great help at, that, at the time. Yeah, Kevin Morales is is one that I completely forgot. Um, you know, another Lille product, uh, and and one for Everton fans will be familiar with. Um, but I mean, strangely enough, with this being the, the scouted football podcast and all, it's not actually the academy setup that I'm I'm specifically interested in talking about today. Although it is, you know, quite a fruitful academy, it's rather uh, Lille's transfer activity, and and particularly so in recent years. Um, currently headed up by uh, the mysterious Luis Campos, um, the Portuguese scout who who's credited with discovering Liverpool's Fabinho, um, James Rodriguez, and and a whole host of other players. You know, bringing them to Europe, bringing them to clubs like Real Madrid, AS Monaco, and Lille as well. Um, you know, they, as you know, Kevin, they've been something of a talent factory in the past decade or so. Um, but they're also a club who who tend to spend more than the average league and club. Is there's essentially a, a story of you know the old phrase you you need to spend money to make money. Well, that's a that's a project of Lille for the last few years since um, since Gerard Lopez came came in he, he bought uh, Luis Campos and as you said Luis Campos is just like for me he's probably the best in the job so and he's a bit different from the from the usual sports director because you know he's not an employee of uh, Lille he's not like if you're going to the domaine de Lichin Lille train center center sorry. You won't find him down there. You know, he still lives in Monaco. Well, basically, he lives in airplanes, but he's less. He's more like a, an advisor for Lille. Of course, he's paid by Lille, but you know, he's not like the usual sports director. Yeah, he's he's the club's uh, scouting advisor. I think that's that's his role. Um, but obviously, as you say, not on not on a contractual basis. So he won't be, uh, you know, he won't be at the club's training base. Um, so it's he's kind of like a like a freelance consultant in, in in a way, which is which is quite strange for such a such a big club, you know, competing in the Champions League and Europa League to be to be outsourcing their scouting like that. Um, would it be would it be fair to say that he has revolutionised the way Lille recruit uh, and attract players because he has helped the club make some serious money in three or so uh, years that he has been with them? Yes, absolutely. I think he's the best sports like sports director we had since uh, since the creation of the club. And you know he's working with um, like a company called uh, Scoutly Limited, which is um, which is really interesting as well because you know it's um, I don't know where it's based, but you know they just like full-time scouts and they got many scouts just for the young players and they're doing an amazing job you know they're just scouting thousands of players they've got data they got um, like observations so it's just like an amazing an amazing job they've been doing and he's been founding like great players you know like you said he used to do that at Monaco and now he's doing it for Lille so great for Lille he's just like found yeah, so many good players and I think he'll keep going to be like that it's not a bad, uh, not a bad setup for him, uh, you know, being able to live in Monaco and, and work for for Lille and do do that sort of job. Uh, I mean, I think there'd be plenty of uh, plenty of the amateur scouts uh, like ourselves who would be a very uh, uh, very pleased to live that sort of lifestyle. 
Um, but un- understandably, being Portuguese as Campos is, you know, he has strong links to Brazil. Uh, and in his first summer at Lille in, in 2017, he signed the likes of Thiago Maia, uh, Luis Arajo and, and Thiago Mendes. But he also brought in uh, Nicolas Pepe from Angers for around 10 million euros uh, and, and Boubacar Soumare on, on a free transfer from, from Paris Saint-Germain. I mean, not exactly a bad pair of players to be judged on, considering you know the club made a, a 70 million euro profit or, or thereabouts on Pepe and and will likely sell Sumare for, for a decent figure in, in future. Kevin, how, how important do you think it is to have a good eye for young talent in Ligue 1, uh, like Campos clearly does, as well as those links to, to Brazil, to Portugal, to the rest of the world? Well, like you said, Ligue 1 is just like, um, like an academy for the biggest leagues in Europe, so you have to find the great kids, and then you know you're going to sell them, so the better they are, the most money you will have, so... Yeah, that's why Campos is here, and so far he's doing a great job. And a bit like Monaco, you know, we always remember the the biggest names. Like for Lille, it would be Nicolas Pepe, it would be Victor Zeman, Gabriel as well. But you will forget, you know, the one who don't work. Like uh, in Monaco, they got many players who didn't really do well. But you will remember the the successes. So that's why they they bring so many young players, and they hope to sell them like a lot of money and wait and see for the next one. Bringing in a player like Pepe at that time, you know, he was uh, at Angers, but at that at that time, you wouldn't have said, you know, he could probably go on to play for a club like Arsenal, for example. You know, do you think that there's something in in Campos's his network of scouts that he may be looking for certain things in particular in a player that that might indicate that they are perhaps um, underappreciated or maybe underperforming a little bit and just need to be brought into the right environment to to help them thrive. Yes, definitely. I think, like you said, he's got he's got an eye. You know, like like I said before, it's just like for me, the it's the best in the job. So, um, you know, like Scout Limited is doing a great job. They got so many scouts, so many so many players, and once they give like good grades to a player, I know that uh, Luis Campos is going to see the players himself. So, you know, he wants to see it. Obviously, when you've got Campos, you know the price goes up because you know everybody knows Luis Campos or his team. But yeah, he's really good at finding like the. I don't know if it's like not the best players and the most known, but for the kids, for the youngsters, like Victor Ozyman, I'm sure we will talk about him later on, but you know, he's, he's been following Victor Ozyman since the under-17 Africa Cup of Nations in 2015, you know, four years before, before he came to Lille. You know, that's amazing, you know, just crazy. Yeah, to have that sort of that scope uh, of influence, you know, with Scouting Limited, that the company, as you say, you know, he's he, it obviously helps massively that he has, you know, all of those people working under his employ and working, you know, providing him with all these insights onto players all over the world. But I think the fact that you know, if he's going himself to go and see uh, those 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 players actually play and you know, give his final judgment, I think that's also fantastic. And and the signs that you know he is he is doing things the right way if there is such a such a way to do things. Um, but I think to, to prove you know his uh, his astuteness in the transfer market, um, you know in 2017 that that was no fluke. You know the, the following year he signed Jonathan Ikone, uh, Jonathan Bamba, and, and Rafael Leao for, for Lille for a, for a grand total of I think around five million euros, uh, as well as Zeki Selik from from Istanbul Sport for, for two and a half million euros. I think you know. I must also add that again, this 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 won't just be Campos working on these incomings by himself. You know, he will be assisted quite heavily, in fact, 
by this network of scouts at various levels, watching players from from here, there and everywhere, providing Campos with with the broad talent pool to pick from. Um, but ultimately, though, the ones Lille have moved for, or the vast majority, um, or, in, or rather enough in the first team to, to do really well, those those players have paid off, you know, on and off the pitch because, you know, you consider they qualified for the Champions League the season before last and, and uh, the Europa League this year. Um, give, given that a few of those players like Bamba and Leao um, became and, and still are integral members of the Lille team uh, of the past few years, you know, they were signed on free transfers. Was there was there very much publicity in France around the time about those deals? Because I think in England, if, if it was a free transfer for a, you know a, a club who are about fifth, sixth, seventh biggest in in the country, maybe there wouldn't be too much publicity. And Jonathan Bamba was a little bit of publicity because you know he was quite known in France. Um, you know he got he got some talent. You know he's just like the biggest prospect. He he wasn't like the next Terry Henry or thing like that. But you know we thought well it's a free transfer, so why not bring him? So. You know, it's just like, it was quite publicity. And for Leao, it was a bit different. There was some publicity, but bad publicity, you know, because uh, he was signed before he he broke his contract with um, Sporting, you know, after the crisis. So um, some people thought it was unfair or maybe the Portuguese club will uh, sue Lille. So we talk a little bit about that. And to be honest, pretty much nobody knew about Leao before he came to Lille. He came to Lille, sorry, so... So yeah, we, we talked a little bit about it, and you know uh, this kind of project, you know, with Charles um, Lopez Campos, and you know we don't really know where the money comes from. So there's always a bit of judgment or bad publicity in the in the French media. So yeah, I guess it's fair enough. So and especially with the first season, because we've been successful for the last two or three seasons. But the first one with um, Campos and Bielsa it didn't work out. We were, we were just near the relegation zone. So yeah, so there was publicity, good and bad, I, I would say. I suppose that's normal with any football club, and and yes, I I always forget that Marcelo Bielsa was at was at Lille for for such a short period of time, um, because the club were doing so poorly and clearly weren't taking to his training methods. Um, but yeah, there is that that question about where Gerard Lopez is, you know, the money is coming from um, to to fund these moves. I think I mean the most recent one being you know thirty million euros for Jonathan David. Uh, I know they're, they're getting a lot more in transfer fees for, for the likes of Pepe and, and Victor Osimhen, but perhaps in the earlier days, I can see where there may have been a bit more bad publicity, particularly um, from, from I don't know, more traditional media outlets who perhaps want uh, clubs to operate in, in a very transparent way. Um, you, you mentioned about Rafael Leao and his situation uh, of leaving Sporting in Portugal. Um, and that was to do with, of course, the crisis there, as you mentioned, where, you know, the, the club were in dire straits and the, 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 the fans or the ultras rather sort of broke into the training ground and sort of confronted all the players. And, and I think it was a few of them, um, in, Leao included, uh, who, who uh, and I think Rui Patricio was another one who ended up at Wolves, of course. Um, they, a few of those players, you know, they, they ended their contracts because they cited that they didn't feel safe and it was unsafe working conditions. I mean, in Leao's first season, or well, his only season at Lille, um, what was sort of the, what was the, the attitude towards him on the pitch? Well, when he arrived, you know, just like expecting, we were expecting a lot because, you know, we heard so many things about, about him. We saw like videos, like, about any youngster, you can find video on YouTube. So a lot of expectation um, about Leao. It was a bit difficult at the beginning, you know, time to settle, I guess, in in France, in the in a new league, new environment. 
but I think it was from December or January. He was just like, he was amazing. You know, you could see his talent. It was like so well, so, so good. You can see that he, he, if he works, he's got the, the right mentality. You, you could see he would be a, a great player. But like you said, it was just like one season and he played like six months, really, probably because, you know, before he was on the bench and just coming on from time to time. And then once he started, he was like playing for six months and then gone. Yeah, I remember that that season, well, 2018-19, and, and as you say, sort of the last six months of that season where Leao was 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 playing, you know, in that front four of uh, of Leao, Pepe, uh, Ikone and Bamba. And it seemed as though Lille played every Friday night. Uh, so I caught a lot of the games and they were, I mean, they were great. They were great, a lovely attacking team. I mean, they did get a lot of penalties, that has to be said, but they, they seemed, that front four really seemed to work well together. Um, and I suppose, you know, moving to more recent times and, and more recent transfers, I did I did just mention um, Jonathan David, but we haven't mentioned uh, the one big outgoing from from Lille this summer, and that's that's Victor Osimhen. Um, we obviously know plenty about him and his story, probably not as much as Luis Campos, uh, but you know, leaving Nigeria, joining Wolfsburg for for a seven figure fee in 2017, then you know, uh, overcoming malaria, reigniting his career at, at Charleroi in Belgium. And then really taking Ligue 1 by storm, you know what has been sort of the the response to to his move uh, to to Napoli this summer. Well, you know it's um, it's hard to to get angry at him because you know, he's such like probably because of his story, but he's such a nice guy. You know you can see he give it all on the on the pitch. He's just like always smiling, really nice guy. So you know it's hard to to be angry at him. And most of the of the fans in Lille, you know they know that's uh, that's a project nowadays. So you know they got uh, good players. If they're doing really well, you know, they will be sold the next summer. So, yeah, I don't I'm, like my opinion on me, but I don't really like this kind of project, you know, especially when you, when you like a team like Lille, you know, was uh, like a bit traditional before, you know, when the players could stay like six or seven years and now just one year. And, and with Ozyman, it's not even a season because, you know, with the, with the coronavirus, you know, just like even, even shorter. So, but yeah, and, you know, I think, I think people will be happy about him. He deserves it, I think. So, yeah, good on him. Hope he will do well in in Napoli. Yeah, he scored. Um, he scored thirteen league and goals in in twenty seven appearances. I think it is. Which to to come into a, a top five European league straight from from Belgium, um, you know, and and to to have, to have bounced back from sort of the disappointment of not being able to make it in the Bundesliga with Wolfsburg, you know, that's that shows a lot of mental strength, a lot of resilience. Um, but also it, it shows that he is uh, still an exceptionally talented player. Um, just on the pitch, you know, his his relationship with the players uh, at Lille, who did he who did he work best with? He got everything, you know, he's fast, he's sharp in front of the guard, he's good with his head as well, he's caught with her with her there in the Champions League. So he was he was really good overall and you know we've got um player like Jonathan Icone, which just to me is just one of the biggest uh, prospects, you know, biggest talents in the in Lille team, but he's really good technically, so he was he was they were a great duo together. Jonathan Benba has a pretty bad year last season, to be honest. But yeah, we've got uh, we played like Ikone was he was pretty good. So yeah, he's he can do everything basically. Uh, he's a man even by by himself. So yeah, he was really really good for us. 
just um yeah just touching on Jonathan Ikone there you know he got his his France call up he played for for the French national team you know he clearly did have a very good year and yeah he's he, he's another one who perhaps could feel i don't know maybe a little bit hard done by that all of the 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 hype and and um the, the drama surrounding Lille's players during the past few seasons you know Pepe Leao uh, Osimhen and and now Jonathan David you know he's he has played an equal part in in making Lille, you know, this team that are competing regularly for for uh, you know a Champions League place, especially in the last two years. Um, but you you mentioned just before that you're not a particularly big fan of, of sort of the project that Lille have at the moment, and that is um, uh, in England we'd have a term sort of like as a stepping stone club, you know, players moving on to um, to to newer, bigger, better things uh, after only a year and. You know they're they're signing for the club knowing that they're not going to give five six you know the best years of their career uh, to to Lille. Um, is would you say among Lille fans uh, and and among fans of Ligue 1, is there an acceptance that you know these Lille players will ultimately always move on to to bigger and better clubs or at least the the best ones? Well, I think there's an acceptance now because we've we've seen the project for the last few years. So, you know. They don't really have the choice, so they know they know it will happen like that. So, I'm sure the all the guys, a bit like me, so they don't really like it. And I think the kids, they just want you know the the results. So most of them are happy, you know, if we're doing well in the in the league, if we qualify for the Champions League, just like at least we're doing well in the in the league. So you have to accept it, you know, just like the way it is. So you know it will be like that. But you know, even with um, Porto or Monaco, Monaco the players used to stay like two or three years. No, it was it wasn't that short, but with Lille, it's really like eight months or nine months and then gone. But you know, just like it's a project, so you have to you have to deal with it. Well, I mean, at Monaco with with Campos sort of leading their scouting between 2013 and 2016. You know, it was the the 2016-17 season uh, when when Monaco uh, quite surprisingly so um, you know toppled PSG's dominance um, in, in Ligue 1 and, and clinched the title. Um, and I suppose that kind of came about with with a few of Campos's signings in that team, or a, a few of the young players who had been brought in at a much younger age and had then developed with Monaco. Um, do you think that perhaps Lille uh, they might be able to sustain something like that? Maybe a a, a title push with uh, if if there was a sustained effort to bring in uh, a lot of younger players who could then sort of all play together at the youth level and then come through to the first team, or or is that is that just out of um, is that just out of Lille's reach? You know, not having uh, Dmitry Rubovliev, the, the Monaco owner's money. You know, is is that not really a fair comparison to make? Well, I think to win to win the to win the league is a bit uh, is a bit too high. PSG is just too strong, and like I said just before, you know, you, you need to to keep your players for at least two seasons. Even even if they're great, you know, they need to play together. You know, got they got they need to get used to each other. So like Monaco when they won the league, you know, players like Bernardo Silva and Falcao and Mbappe were just coming on, but you know, they've been playing for at least two years together. So. You need that, and you need a bit of luck. You need a great generation like Monaco had. So maybe Lille could win a, a cup, domestic cup. But to win the league, I think it's just too high. Yeah, I, d- I don't think a cup is out of reach. I mean, we saw a Stade Rene last year beating PSG in the final on a on a one-off day. You know, a, a few games in the cup, four or five uh, matches. You know, that is 
perhaps more doable. And I suppose that would bring a lot of joy, a lot of happiness to to Lille fans and and to you know to fans of French football to see you know Lille doing well and sort of the project reaping you know dividends on the pitch rather than just off it. Um, but more to more talking about you know off the pitch now and and I suppose the the big Lille incoming transfer this this summer has been uh, Jonathan David who signed in the past few weeks um, and understandably there are there are many many similarities with him and Victor Osimhen you know big goal scorers uh, both making a name uh, for themselves in Belgium prior to that Ligue 1 move you know David with Ghent Osimhen with Charleroi um, aside from the goal scoring though. Do you think that Ligue 1 spectators will see a similar type of player in David or will they be seeing a more versatile, rounded player, especially with the, with the fact that, you know, the, the the veteran striker Burak Yilmaz has also been signed? What, what is sort of the thinking behind how Lille are going to use David uh, this season? Well, I think people would see uh, David score many goals, I think. I think he's a, he's a great talent, but... He's a bit different from Ozyman in the way that he's um, he's better with uh, with his passing, with um, the fact that he creates many chances. You know, in the in the Jupiter in the Belgium league, he was um, one of the best passers with the most assists. So that's a bit different from um, from Ozyman, who really was like a number nine. But yeah, Jonathan David, I think it would be better with another striker. You know, going around the striker and you know moving a lot. So um, we'll see which would be the, the striker. But to be honest, I don't think it would be a Burak Hilmaz. I think Hilmaz would be on the bench. Um, I think he's not good enough to be um, to be in the starting starting eleven. I think he's too slow, too old. I mean, he, he could be great, you know, like um, coming on, you know, just uh, to help sometimes or just at the end of the game. But from what I've seen so far, we, we should give him time. But from what I've seen, he's just not good enough. He's just really slow, just out of rhythm. So... Yeah, I think he would be on the bench, and you know he was supposed to be, to replace Loïc Rémy, who done a great job with us. But I don't think he would be uh, as good as Loïc, unfortunately for us. Yeah, Rémy seemed to, to have been sort of still a bit more dynamic, still a bit sharper than than you know Yilmaz, who understandably so is is you know he's thirty five years old now, so that's that, that explains a little bit. But yeah, I think just going back to David, I think. Uh, I've seen a few people saying, "Oh, you know, he's going to completely um, replicate Osimhen's season and and his style and sort of thing." But I mean, at Ghent, you know, he was David was regularly playing behind uh, Roman Yeremchuk and and Laurent de Poitre, so they're not a like for like fit. But I think that, like you say, you know, the goal scoring that probably will 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 keep up, uh, and also I think the the whole assists. You know, bringing bringing more to the team just outside of the penalty area, so to speak, is definitely um, something which could be quite encouraging. Exactly, that's why uh, that's why I hope Lille will uh, will bring another striker. You know, we've been talking a lot about uh, Morelos from uh, from the Rangers. Um, I think it would be a good fit, but like you say, yeah, I think it would be better with uh, with someone else uh, up front. So we'll see, we'll see who would be the striker if the striker coming. Yeah, Lille have done done some great business already this this transfer window, and if they brought in someone like Morelos with his quality, with his ability in front of goal, um, I think that would be you know they'd be be serious contenders for for a Champions League place again next season. Um, but there's also in terms of the the younger players that they've brought in, um, they've brought in uh, Isaac Lihaji, a right winger from Marseille. Um, he's been signed to, uh, and when we spoke to to uh, Mohamed Ali. 
on a previous episode about Marseille, uh, about Li Haji and his contract situation in Marseille. Uh, and he ends, he looks as though, you know, he's, he's thought, you know, my days are over at Marseille. I want to try myself elsewhere. And Lille has been that, um, that place that, that he's decided on. Uh, and I think from seeing him at, at the Under-17 World Cup and, and things like that, you know, uh, he'll feature off the bench in, in sort of more of a, a supplementary role. But I, I think lots should be expected of him. Um, and, and I suppose Lille have also signed uh, Angel Gomez from Manchester United, uh, loaned him to Boavista in Portugal, um, with those two clubs now sharing a, a close link at director's level, shall we say. Um, of those two players, you know, what, what is what is sort of the idea behind bringing, bringing them in, Kevin? Oh, Lihaji is definitely an exciting player, one for the one for the future, and he's he already got the the Pepe's number on the on the back of his shirt. So yeah, I think it would be a, a great talent, an exciting player. Angel Gomez, just once again, just like they hope he would be a, would be a good player and sell them. But I haven't seen much of him yet, so I can't can't really talk about it. And there was a, as well the um, Pizzuto, the Mexican players, midfielder. Um, I've heard a lot of good things about him as well. So yeah, again, great. Transfer window, just exciting player, players, exciting players. Sorry, so yeah, looking forward to see them uh, on the pitch. I read a little bit about Pizzuto. I haven't seen him play at all, but I think when he was around eleven or twelve years old, he got uh, a scholarship to go uh, and play in New Zealand um, from from his his base in Mexico. Um, but then couldn't play there, so then came back to Pachuca and is now at Lille. So yeah, he'll certainly be one uh, of great interest to us if he um, ends up making so making a few waves in, in, uh, in the Lille team. Um, but I suppose the big news uh, in the past few days, and depending on when you're listening to this podcast, um, the big news is that at centre-back, Lille have done uh, some, some incomings and, and probable outgoings um, because you know the, 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 the news uh, among Arsenal's fan base uh, is that they are getting a new centre-back in uh, Gabriel Magalhaes, uh, the Brazilian, who's uh, 22, 23 years old. Um, Kevin, what what can you what can you tell us about about Gabriel? Well, to be honest, I've never thought he would be that good when I when I first see him play. Maybe arrived like um, 2017, I think. And at the beginning, he didn't didn't play because there were other players in front of him. And then he went on loan to Troyes, and he pretty much didn't play down there. In Troyes, he was um, in the second division in France. Then he was on loan in Croatia, and even down there, he played like 10 games or something. And when he came back. Um, he played because, um, just like in the National Cup, or when Sumo was um, injured, so Sumo, who is now playing in Italy, but uh, like his first two or three games, he was terrible. You know, he was just like uh, so clumsy. You know, just like making mistakes. You know, bad fouls, everything like that. And I thought, oh my god, what's you know, it's just like he can't be playing for Lille. And then it was just getting better and better and better. And last season, he was amazing. You know, it was just so good with. Um, with his reading, with the, the like in the jewels, and even his passing ability is just like he was amazing. You know, I think he needs someone with experience next to him, like uh, Jose Fonte was uh, in Lille, but he was really was so so good. You know, I've never thought it would be that good, but if he goes to Arsenal, and I think he will, um, it could be a great addition for, for Arsenal. And Arsenal definitely needs certain back, so so yeah, can't wait to see him down there. 
Yeah, that, I think that's an understatement in saying that Arsenal needs sort of a solid presence at, at centre-back and a reliable one uh, as well. Um, but yeah, there's been lots and lots of interest in Gabriel this summer, not just from the Emirates Stadium. You know, you at one point, Everton was said to be the front runners with a £30 million bid. Then it was suggested that Napoli may make a double swoop for, for Ossiemen and Gabriel as well. But yeah, I think uh, the, the likelihood is that he's probably going to, to be an Arsenal player uh, by the time this podcast is released, actually. Um, but yeah, that's exciting and, and intriguing on a, on a number of levels. You know, he's really developed, as you say, into sort of that defensive titan over the past few years. Um, from being, you know, on loan at Trois, as you said, uh, and, and also at Dynamo Zagreb, you know, not exactly huge clubs. Uh, and then, you know, or at least not exactly huge clubs in the grand scheme of, of European football. But uh, just, I don't know, maybe not not doing so well there, maybe didn't. Uh, indicate that he'd you know walk into this Lille team and 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 be this you know the 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 great presence that he has been um you know look, looking ahead to next season probably with Arsenal you know for me when I watch Gabriel it's it's his passing that always stands out to me for, for him being such a big guy um, but what can we expect from him sort of settling into a new environment a new club um new coaches new a new playing style well, the fact is, like he struggled a little bit in France and Croatia, and he came from Brazil. You know, he showed that he got um, a really strength in in terms of mentality. So I think he, I think he would do well in uh, in England in for Arsenal. But like I said, he needs someone you know with experience next to him. Like if he's playing with, um, like, we never know. But you know, he could be playing like uh, Gabriel and uh, Saliba. I think it would be a bit too young for them, you know, at this level because the Premier League is one of the toughest league in the world. But yeah, if he's playing with someone really confident, with experience next to him, he could be amazing. You know, just like he, he he's the type of player who is who fits the, the promoting, in my opinion. So yeah, it could be could be amazing, and his passing could help a lot. Uh, Arsenal, you know, it, it would be a bit different from uh, Socrates or a player like that or Mustafi. So yeah, it'd be better. In any way, it would be better. I suppose Arsenal fans might be sort of thinking, if only we had a, a peak uh, Laurent Koscielny to to play alongside Gabriel, because that would be such a good um, such a good mix. I think. Perfect fit. Yeah, I think it would be a great fit um, for those two. But it's interesting that you mentioned um, Saliba potentially playing there uh, alongside him, and yeah, you know that that might end up being the case in in a handful of games next season. But I do agree with you in that you know those two playing together as, as a centre-back pairing might be you know, an indicator that they are both too young to, to be doing that role um, together and do would, and would need that, that more senior head alongside them. But yeah, also I think you know, the fact that he spent time in Brazil with Avai, Trois in France and, 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 and Zagreb in Croatia means that you know, he'll, be, he'll be pretty durable to new surroundings. Um, but in, in terms of an incoming, a player coming into Liga, uh, his, his Gabriel's replacement, or probable replacement, um, is another tall, ball-playing, left-footed centre-back. You know, straight out of of the Ajax Academy playbook. Um, you know, a defender who can who can certainly play football as well as sort of do his defensive duties. Um, and he's only one year younger than than Gabriel. Um, spent last year on loan at Herenveen in in the Dutch Eredivisie. Um, Kevin Sven Sven Botman has has big shoes to fill. Um, based on the the past few seasons that Gabriel has 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 performed, um, not only really in his defensive work, but also in t- terms of the ball progression and and keeping moves, you know, ticking with sharp vertical passes, 
what else does Botman have to live up to in replacing Gabriel? Do you think that the club will feel the, the Brazilians' loss? Um, I would have said yes, you know, a few weeks before, but now I've seen Bos- um, Botman play, you know, even his first game, like he was a friendly, and straight away you can see how good it is, you know, the confidence he had. And for the, fr- uh, the first game in the, in the French Ligue 1, he was, he was a starter as well. And he, like, you know, in the, he's really good, you know, in the, on one-on-one. He's quite fast. He's good with the ball, you know. For like you said, like a, a big guy like him, he's not bad. Often you got some some players with that quality on, on the ball. So once again, he's just like a great great player found by Luis Campos team. It's just like I was really impressed by him. Of course, he will struggle a little bit with you know really fast players like against Rennes. He was uh, Rafinha, who is you know really fast and really sharp with the ball. So he will struggle against these kind of players. But overall, I think it'd be a, it'd be a great fear. I'm, I'm not sure we. We will miss too much Gabriel, and we've got you know Thiago Diallo as well, who is uh, who is on the bench, who is quite good as well. So you know he's just quite good, uh, good players back there, back in the back, the back center. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned um, Thiago Diallo as well there, because uh, then the next sort of point I was going to come on to was was looking at the rest of Lille's squad, and there are so many young players uh, at Lille under the age of twenty three. Um, you know, Renato Sanchez, remember him? You know, he's still just twenty three years old, and and by all accounts, doing very very well away from the spotlight of Benfica or Bayern München. Or, or even Swansea City, you know, um, Zeki Salik, who, who I mentioned earlier, came in from Istanbul Sport, um, you know, a wonderful uh, attacking fullback. Um, Thiago Diallo, as you said there, uh, another Portuguese influence in the Lille defence who, you know, will, will probably get more minutes this season. Um, and, and then another Turkish player, Yusuf Yazici, uh, also 23 years old. Bubakari Samare, he, he's still a Lille player, depending on you know how his you know future situation pans out, and and you know who could forget Timothy Weir, you know still just twenty years of age too, you know out of those players, Kevin, you know who do you really like at Lille? Who who really excites you? Well, for me, the best player overall is Renato Sanchez, and he's uh, an amazing talent. Of course, he got um, he had bad years at Swansea at, uh, at Bayern Munich after the Euro two thousand sixteen. But he's amazing. You know, just like he, he got everything at the, in the middle of the pitch. And you know, he he's so strong. He's so good with his dribble and you know, with, his, with his passing. If he could be a bit like um, sharper in front of God, it would be a, it would be perfect. But yeah, I think he's a, he's the biggest talent uh, from, for that age in the, in our team. Like I said earlier as well, Ikone, Ikone should explode. You know, just like he should have the breakthrough season um, for me because he's really really good. He just needs to be a bit uh, like he. He did with France, you know. He scored a he scored a, a goal with France on his first cap. So he should score many more goals. And he should have a season like Pepe had uh, two seasons ago for me. Um, one I really like as well is uh, Bobakari Sumare. He's a bit um, I don't really like comparison, but for those who, who don't know him, he's a bit like a Pogba player. You know, the really strong, really good going forward, great passing skill as well. So um, I really really like him. I hope he would he would have um, more more time. Uh, this season, but you know, with Benjamin Andre and Renato Sanchez, they're really good together, so it's hard to, to play. But Bubakar Suma is definitely an amazing player. Um, one I like as well, which who is not really known, is uh, Lucas Chevalier, who is the third goalkeeper of um, of Lille uh, behind Mike Magnon, who is an amazing goalkeeper. You've got uh, Leo Jardim, who's a Brazilian, supposed to be good, but we haven't seen much of him yet. But Lucas Chevalier is, um, is the third, uh, third goalkeeper, he's really young. He's, we were playing with the under-19 last season, I think, again, but I've seen him a few times. He's really good and I've heard a lot of good things about him. So, yeah, there's some players, definitely a lot of players who are really exciting and for the years to come. So, yeah, 
You can't complain about that. No, definitely not. I think any club that has a number of young players coming through um, who who are all sort of pushing to get those first team minutes, that's always going to be something which, I mean, on the balance sheet of the club, that's always going to be, you know, it's going to look healthy. But also in terms of the fans, because I think fans always love to see sort of a young homegrown player or even just a young player coming through and, and, you know, doing better than players much older than them uh, in the opposition teams. Um but yeah, you you mentioned um, Abu Bakari Sumare and and sort of the Pogba comparisons. And yes, I, I completely agree with the whole uh, you know comparisons sometimes aren't the best. But I do I, I see where you're coming from there. You know, with you know he's also a very tall player, plays in the same position, and he's able to just open his legs and and get them in front of players. You know, protect the ball well, um, distribute from deep. I think yeah, he's uh, he's, he's he's a good player in that, in that regard um, for certainly. Um, but yeah, I, I should probably I should probably mention before we uh, before we end today's episode that there there is such such a great spread of uh, of minds within within Lille's hierarchy clearly because you know there there, there simply has to be to, to continually ensure that the the financial and also sporting success that, that Lille have uh, have undergone in the past few years um, you know. But, People uh, may be familiar with Franck Beria, a former Lille player, former fullback, I think he was. Um, he's, he's now the, the football director. Um, and as, as we've said, you know, there has been suggestions over where the money is from. But besides having um, one of the best uh, car collections in the world, uh, Gerard Lopez is also known for, for being Lille's president and owner, you know, assisted by Marc Anglais. Um, the former vice president of Barcelona, um, who was responsible for you know boosting uh, Barcelona's finances tremendously with sort of all those Nike p- partnerships in the early two thousands. Um, Kevin, you know, from your position in France, what is you know what is the overall attitude towards Lopez's ownership and his way of sort of delegating and, and operating this seemingly well run football club? Lopez, like I said, you know, was um, a lot of criticism at the beginning. You know, just like. Uh... A lot of people thought it would uh, it would bring Lille down, like to the second division, or it will leave the club uh, after failure or something. But so far, you know, you can you can argue that you know he's done this great, a great job. You know, we got the Champions League in the second season, we got the Europa League this season, and maybe Lille could have the could have reached the Champions League spot. You know, if the season went to went to an end. But yeah, so far he's done he's done a good job. He's got great people around him. Luis Campos definitely is the best uh, the best guy he brought. So, and yeah, the club is, he changed a lot. You know, I was, I used to work for Lille uh, in 2014-15. I worked there for a few months. And, uh, you know, it's really, really different nowadays. But, you know, it's just the way football goes as well. So, he's done, he's done a good job so far. So, and, you know, we've got uh, the Belgian team as well. Moucron is just like a part of, uh, of Lille. I don't know how to say in English, but it's just like a satellite club or something. And maybe we'll... There will be another one in Portugal, so yeah, I think he's done. He's done a pretty good job so far. Yeah, I know what you mean with the the whole satellite club thing. Um, yes, the Macron uh, in in the Belgian league, uh, sort of in the way that Circle Bruges are for Monaco and Macron are for for Lille, and and of course with the the growing links between Lille and Boavista now, um, that could also be uh, another satellite club in in uh, in Liga Noche uh, over there. Um, well. There you have it. Um, the lowdown on Lille, uh, an insight into a potential future Arsenal centre-back and a reminder that 
Ronaldo Sanchez is still a, a really fantastic footballer, uh, and and that from you know within the shadows of his football consultancy role, uh, Luis Campos and his his network of scouts, you know his hand hangs heavy like a spectre over the you know the the, the European football market, um, waiting to to descend and, and bring another top youth prospect to uh, to northern France. Um, Kevin, thank you so much for for taking the time to speak with me today. You know it's been a real pleasure. Um, and just briefly before we go, you know, would you like to discuss sort of the, the books that you've written um, uh, alongside sort of the work that you've done at Opta uh, on, on the big tournaments that have been in, in the past few years or so? Well, thanks for having me, first of all. But yeah, for the, um, for the books, uh, the first one was um, about the World Cup. So, you know, just like a bit like on, on Twitter, on Opta Joe, uh, Opta John, we tried to to find the, like the best statistics, the best like the records or, or fun facts as well. And so you've got many facts about the World Cup. Um, it was just before the 2018, so the last one that we won, obviously. But yeah, if you like the World Cup, if you like statistics, you know you will find a lot of them. Obviously, it's in French, but you you could pretty much easily understand it. And the second one is um, on the Champions League, and it's uh, one season after another. So it's just like um, a real book in a way, you know, just like more sentences. So from the 2003-2004 season with uh, Monaco and Porto in the final until uh, not the last one but the one before that so yeah again like a lot of statistics a lot of records and and things you've never read about the the world cup or the champions league so if you like data and if you can read a little bit of uh, of french i'm i'm sure you'll like it so yeah that's it and if you like football manager take lille got so many good players enjoy it <laughs> definitely yeah I think I've started a, a fair few saves on Football Manager with Lille over the years so yeah I can definitely vouch for that maybe in a, a much better position now with the young players than uh, than when I was starting on sort of the FM 13 14s back in the day um, but yeah um if you want to see more of Kevin's fantastic work, um, you know, read his opinions and, and sort of analytical insight into the data behind behind football, do check him out on uh, on Twitter. Um, his at is at Kev Jeffries. Um, please do follow Kevin. He's you know he's just fantastic work. Uh, and also, if if you're in France, you know, do uh, do check out uh, Canal Plus to see if uh, you know he's making another appearance on King of the Day and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, thank you again to, to Kevin. Um, well, thank you for listening today. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed sort of learning a little bit more about Lille and, and just finding out more about sort of the, the, their transfers, their, how they work at the boardroom level and that sort of thing. Um, anyway, I've been Joe Donahue and, and this has been the Scouted Football Podcast. Um, remember to hit that five-star review, please, if you've enjoyed today's episode. Uh, but we'll be back very shortly with uh, some more episodes. But uh, yeah, in the meantime, take care and see you soon. Bye-bye.